Hello and welcome, esteemed gamers, friends, listeners. It is Leighton here from Leighton Night with Brian Wecht, and I just wanted to tell you that if you're looking to get even more podcast goodness to put in your face, then we've got just the thing for you, which is the official Leighton Night Patreon. We have several tiers where you can get access to recommendation lists for every episode, listen to Patreon-exclusive minisodes, get into the super awesome fan Discord, and watch videos like Brian's songwriting process for jingles on the show, or me taking apart and cleaning my mechanical keyboards. It's really fun and cool, and we super appreciate your support. It's neat. We would love to see you there. Without any further ado, here's the episode. Enjoy. Love you. Bye. Leanne, this is not even close, but you are the guest we've had that has the most in common letter-wise with Leighton's name. (laughs) And you guys are two letters off from each other. And I'm looking at these two giant L's on my screen. Even if I get through the first five letters, it's still not enough to determine who's who. Two big L's, baby. Yeah. Leanne, did people get your name wrong a lot? My entire life. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. It's better now. My parents were having a really creative day, you know, and they they made it everybody else's problem. <laughs> Honestly, that G&H is just such a huge stumbling block for people. It's not their fault. So when they get it right, I'm delighted. Do they go for like Legan or something? Because I've definitely gotten some variations on that. Yeah, the one that stands out to me um, and my friends from high school still remember it was roll call sophomore year. Uh, my social studies teacher called me Legahan. <laughs> Legahan. She got every letter in there. I was like, okay, yeah, I see where you're going, but no. (laughs) You got to really try for that. That's a remarkable one. You do. I also get people who want to spell my name differently. They want to do a capital A. (laughs) They want to put an E at the end. You know, it's this constant battle. Number of N's, I'm sure. Oh, listen, I don't even fight anymore. It's like, okay, if you get close... I'm happy. Yeah, it's good enough. Give it the old college try. Yeah, it's actually why very early in my career, even though I do have landlord.com, I tell people it's very funny lady.com. Because even if you if you find me funny, you enjoy my work, you, that GNH is going to throw you off after a couple of drinks. So yeah, it's just easier to tell them to go to very funny lady.com. Yeah. Leighton, <laughs> how do people fuck up your name? Leighton, Legton. Legton? Lawton. Someone's called you Legton. Yeah. I can see that. I've gotten just like ignoring the T-O-N and getting Lee. Yeah, that's classic. More than anything, I see the misspelling of like L-A-Y-T-O-N. Oh, right. They'll spell it phonetically. That makes sense. I mean, it's still wrong, but. (laughs) Yeah, I accept it. They're right. I love when people send me emails and my email is my name. You got the cheat sheet right there. And still, my dear Leanne spelled wrong. How are you doing this, everybody? Really? (laughs) I don't know about you two, but when I send an email, I look it over like 20 times to make sure I haven't fucked up anything. Grammar, names, spelling, whatever. And inevitably, something goes wrong in in, in some of them. But The error only reveals itself once you've sent the email. Yes, that's how it works. Even after half an hour of combing. Always the case, yes. (laughs) Yet again, expect technology to disappoint you. And that is also showing your age, by the way, because apparently that's not (laughs) hip or cool to be grammatically correct or, you know, have proper punctuation or capitalization. That's very fuddy-duddy of you. 
So, Leanne, I don't know exactly how old you are, and there's no need to say, but Leighton is significantly younger than me. I'm 45. Leighton, do you want to reveal your age again? Yeah, you don't have to put it like revealing. I'm 23. I'm 23. Oh, wow. So she's one of these like hip, cool kids. No, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just stop you right there. I'm not, but I am at least of an age that in school, it was just like every other week. Now, here's how you write an email to a professional. And then, you know, it's like, okay, I got to be very, very proper. And then you get to college and then it's just like class canceled today, dash B sent from iPhone. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I remember I worked in England for a while as a professor and there the email etiquette was so weird because you would get everything from the most British shit you've ever heard, you know, dear, esteemed, blah, 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 you know, whatever, like these very ornate kind of like so respectful, you think they're messing with you kind of emails. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're like, no one should think this highly of me in any circumstance. Mm-hmm. The one that really threw me off was I would occasionally get emails from students that said, dear sir. And I was told by colleagues in the university that that was actually disrespectful. <gasps> really? <laughs> Sir, is it dis? Can either of you guess why that's disrespectful? Yes, because it doesn't have your name. They didn't take the time to figure out or type your name. Yep, that was definitely part of it. And there's another element to it, which, which is the one that really caught me by surprise. My guess is that it would be an affront to people who have been actually knighted as sirs. Oh, hmm. Okay. Yes, that's an interesting one because that is an official title. That is not correct, though. I would also think in a very modern context, and this is relatively new, I guess, for everybody, but particularly for me, it presupposes your gender. Mm -hmm. This is true. Yes. So I agree with all of these. However, that's not the reason I was told for it being disrespectful. The reason is that's what you call your high school teachers, sir. (gasps) Hmm. And I'm curious if everyone in the UK does this or whatever, I don't know. But I was told that this is when they communicate with their secondary school teachers. They say, dear sir, dear madam, whatever. But when they're addressing you as a faculty member, they should include your title and, like you said, Leanne, your name. Dear Dr. Wecht or dear Professor Wecht, you know, that sort of stuff. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I guess you were just really getting dunked on by those sirs. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yet another UK variant we have to beware of. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was told when I moved there, it was like, okay, British friends, give me advice. What can I do that'll ease my transition into British society? And the one piece of advice I got from everybody, which felt so wrong, was put your title on your credit cards. So change them all to say Dr. Brian Weck. (laughs) Dr. Credit Card. Yeah. They basically said, because people will be nicer to you with that title on there. Isn't that crazy? Well, here's my question. Are the credit card companies actually vetting whether you have that title or not? Or is this open to anybody who wants better treatment? (laughs) (laughs) They are not at all checking it. All right. Anyone can do this. I'm making a note to myself to do later. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Have you ever seen, if you've ever flown on like, I don't know, British Airways or used any kind of British site where you have a drop down menu of titles? Have you ever seen these? Yes. Yeah. So on British Airways, you can pick titles that include like Vicon, like the Right Honorable Marchioness, you know, all these like nobility titles, which there have to be a handful of number of people in the world now who are a marquee of something, right? It can't be that high. <laughs> <laughs> that option is there. That's my Instagram. Yeah. 
<laughs> wow. Rear Admiral was one. <laughs> that was an option. Rear Admiral Brian Wecht. Oh, man. It'd be so much fun. Yeah, seriously. Just like making everybody call you Rear Admiral and insisting on it is a sign of respect. Yes. They also always had the option for title and missus. Oh, please don't get me started. Yeah. Dr. and Mrs. Brian Wecht. Yeah. Wow. Which is a whole other thing. Yes, it is. Although I think they modernized a little bit because it's not just title and missus. You can be title and title. So doctor and doctor Wecht. Doctor and rear admiral Wecht. <laughs> I didn't plan to go this far down the title rabbit hole. But the other thing that I always used to love was in Germany, if you're an academic and you have appointments in multiple departments, you can actually call yourself doctor, doctor. <laughs> Stop it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the song, right? So you'd go around and you'd see seminar, whatever, announcements, title of seminar by Dr. Dr. So-and-so. Mm. And occasionally, some people would be professors in both departments, and they would be professor, professor. But if you were a professor in one department, but not in the other, you could be Dr. Professor. It just went on and on forever. Oh, I loved it so much. It's a little much. Yeah. Yeah, this is some Mrs. Dr. Girlfriend shit. Yeah. <laughs> Some overcompensating. <laughs> and while I absolutely agree that if you have a job title, you have an accomplishment, something that you've worked for, you should be acknowledged for it. But the doctor, doctor sounds like double dipping to me. <laughs> we see you. Yeah, it feels like insecurity, right? Yes. I'm going to talk to my therapist, therapist about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing that immediately in my mind goes to what is the limit of this, right? Is this something that's all throughout German society? And anytime you have these multiple like appointments, how far down the line does it go? I have no idea. Does it work vertically? You know, if you're hustling and you got two jobs, <laughs> you know, are you Uber Lyft? Are you driver driver? Like, <laughs> like what's going on? <laughs> does DR stand for doctor or driver? I guess is the question in that case. Yeah. Ooh. We've really opened a semantic can of worms here. It's just titles all the way down. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think this is what you had in mind, but I'm delighted. Of all the rabbit holes that one could fall down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, Leanne, you are like us, a nerd. That's a correct, accurate thing to say, wouldn't you say? Yes. And in keeping with our conversation, I'd go nerd, nerd. I'd double down on that. Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so have you fallen into any, speaking of rabbit holes, good nerd slash information rabbit holes on the internet or otherwise lately? What have you been into? Oh, well, it's interesting. I'm taking a writing class, which sort of requires that I immerse myself in way more news than I would normally, because I pulled way back in 2020. I'm like, this is not good for me. But 2021, not so much. Yeah, same. <laughs> it's been better. You know, I can peek my head out and go, oh, the sky isn't falling. That's great. So I, I find myself on more news sites. I'm curious, Leanne, if you did what I did. It was weird. The last four years, I really throttled the news back a lot for whatever reason. Oh, yeah. And then really, it was literally like the day after they announced Biden won. I was like, okay, I can finally check news sites again daily. And it was still bad for a while. Yeah. But like the floodgates opened and I kept like <laughs> kept refreshing like Washington Post and stuff. You know, I did more in a week than I probably had in the previous year. Yeah, I will say absolutely. Here's how bad it was for me. I didn't even stay up election night. I ordered pizza. I had a bottle of wine. I watched Star Trek. I went to bed. <laughs> I'm like, I've already done my part. That sounds amazing. 
It was great. I did the same thing. They kept telling us that, hey, this is not an election night. It's an election week or a season. And I said, so my staying up has absolutely no bearing on this outcome. And I know that I've done what I'm supposed to do. I voted. Good night, everybody. Yep. It was really about me preserving my equanimity. Yeah, because otherwise it's like, let me sit and hit F5 every 10 seconds and just have anxiety, turbo anxiety for the rest of the night. Or go fuck off and do literally anything else. Right. Yeah. And here's the thing. I was still pretty reasonably well informed because not everybody else did that. Everybody else is still going to text you, message you, send you links, go, hey, this is what's going on. I'm like, yes, I know Rome is burning. Thank you. Thank you for letting me know. I appreciate it. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I had seen enough things saying, look, election night, things are going to look real bad because of, you know, absentee ballots and stuff. So- don't pay attention to what you see that night. Wait until they start counting those ballots. So I missed a lot of the panicking that was happening on election night. Like, are we going to have a repeat of 2016? Because I did exactly the same thing you did, Leanne, where I was just like, you know what? I checked it once at 6 p.m. our time here in California. And then I was like, I'm going to bed. I'm not going to sleep well, but I'm not looking at the news. I'll check again tomorrow. And that actually was a good decision in retrospect. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you think about it, we have a 24-hour news cycle, which doesn't always, in my opinion, contain news, but, you know, it is what it is. So you can tune in at any time and find out what's going on. Yeah. You can look at your phone, you can look at your laptop, you can turn on TV. You are never really more than three seconds away from finding out whether or not you need to pack a go bag. So I don't think unplugging is a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will always recommend unplugging in every situation. I think I think we all need a little bit more quiet in general, in the old brain. Yeah, totally. We kind of derailed from the original thing, which was Leanne's writing. So I want to make sure we get back to that. Oh, I hope I remember the question, you know, what rabbit holes do I go down? And so I'm generally just cruising sites like, sadly, TMZ, Yahoo News, BuzzFeed, Politico, <laughs> just so, so I can get the headlines so I know what I'm writing about. The whole experiment here is writing for late night TV. It's very different than writing stand-up. Oh, interesting. That's what I was going to ask, yeah. Every form of writing is quite unique, and this has its own format. And it's all current events, mostly. You know, unless you're doing, oh, studies show, you know, that type of joke. Mm. I wanted something new. I wanted a challenge. And I'm having a blast, an absolute blast. It turns out the brain needs stimulation. (laughs) You can't just (laughs) curl up on the couch and watch Netflix. All the time. Most of the time, just not all the time. Is the stuff you're writing anything that you would use in your own stand-up, in your act? Or is this all like you're trying to write for someone else's voice? Well, both. There are some things that will just jump out at me and go, oh, yeah, I could definitely use this in my act. But, it, you know, stand-up is much more personal. Late-night writing, you really are writing in someone else's voice. And it, it turns out I have a knack for Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that. Because here's what's funny. I don't watch late night TV. So why am I taking this class? Yeah, neither do I. (laughs) I just wanted to be a better joke writer. Like of all the late night folks they actually will like sit down and watch is Samantha Bee. I absolutely love her. But there aren't enough women, in my opinion, in late night. Yeah, she's the best. Yeah, I adore her. But just in terms of being able to develop a skill, like an offshoot of my skill set, you know, I don't lose in doing that. Mm -hmm. I take that skill back. I make myself a better joke writer. It also helps me create content, you know, which I hate that term. But when you're feeding the social media beast, it looks like I'm writing all the time because I am. 
So no joke left behind <laughs> is my policy. Yeah. So you're literally like scanning headlines and just trying to generate yeah. jokes from, yeah. from those. And it's actually not that easy. <laughs> it's really not. Yeah. It seems very hard. Yeah. When you come across a headline or you come across a story and the joke writes itself, that means everybody's writing that same joke. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which now, you know, if anybody on Twitter could write it, now you've got to dig deeper. Now you've got to find another angle or another story. So yeah, if it's too easy, yeah, you should probably pass that by, you know, unless you want the low-hanging fruit. You're absolutely sure you're going to be one of the first six people to post it on Twitter. Yeah, totally. It's like all of the best stuff comes after you've gotten the like obvious joke out of your system. It's usually like two to three down the line where you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Easily. This feels right. Easily. And sometimes it's, you know, writing the associations and making the connections and you put it down on the paper, then you walk away. Sometimes you really have to walk away from the paper, you know, or from your laptop for a little while. You come back, you go, oh my God, that's crap. It was brilliant when you wrote it and you walked away. And then you come back like, oh, I'm so glad I didn't post that. (laughs) (laughs) I spelled it's, there's an apostrophe there. There shouldn't be one. That's the wrong version of it's, (laughs) which ruins the joke for me. Oh yeah. I think on the internet, there's developed a very fine art of like strategic comedic misspellings and like you know, different grammar structure, but you got to be like on point. But other times you need to spell every single word wrong for comedy. Yeah. I know I've talked about this book with you, Leighton, but there's this amazing book called Because Internet by Gretchen McCulloch. Leanne, do you know this book? I feel like I've heard it in my periphery, but please enlighten me. She's a linguist, professional linguist. She has an incredible podcast that I really like called Lingthusiasm, where she and her co-host Lauren Gaughan, who's an Australian linguist, just, you know, talk about linguistics. It's like a monthly thing. Amazing uh, podcast. But she is an expert in internet language usage. And this entire book is about just the way people use language in text and online communication. And so, for example, she'll have a whole thing about periods at the end of sentences, right? So how to, quote unquote, older people it's rude not to use a period, but to younger people, it's rude to use a period, for example. Yeah. Yeah, like a period is frightening. <laughs> I read that. It might have even been somebody quoting her or that post in an infuriating for me <laughs> because I, I am an adult, a full adult, been an adult for a while. You know, punctuation, that's a thing. And I was an English major, so I'm invested in my education. But communication, in my opinion, is difficult enough without you making me figure out what you mean. I find that offensive, Mm -hmm. which is why I think punctuation is important. So I've got to figure out where your sentence ends. Really? I mean, you can see how passionate I get about this. Get over a period is what you're afraid of. Are you serious right now? (laughs) (laughs) The lowering of standards. It's like, why are we going to the least common denominator why don't we have better teachers? Why don't you learn the proper way to do this? Because making me figure out what you mean is insulting. But to me, it doesn't feel like a lowering of standards necessarily. And this is one thing McCullough talks about in the book. It's just different standards based on the tone you want to communicate. So if I were playing devil's advocate, which I definitely am, I would argue that that lack of a period, it's trying to convey a different tone than the period would. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. No, no, I don't. Oh, so if you end a sentence with a period, it's basically giving you a choice that wasn't there before. So if every sentence always has to end with a period, that's just a rigid structure and that's what it is. If now it's a choice you're making, you're adding inflection. It doesn't. It can end with an exclamation point. It can end with a question mark. It can have a number of ways to end, which convey that my thought is complete. 
So, no. Fair enough. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sorry. But now you're adding another inflection. You're adding another choice, which is, do you even want to put punctuation there depending on the like the casualness of the tone you want to convey. Anyway, I'm not going to be able to defend this as thoroughly as this book does, but I found it very interesting. And she also makes a point that many other people have made. There's a recurring argument that, you know, texting is bad for language or things like this. But what she would come back with to that claim is people are writing more now than like almost at any other point in history. We're doing this thing where we're constantly writing words to other humans on our phone, way more than when people were writing letters to each other and all this stuff. Ever since the introduction of texting, people have been using the written word in like a markedly volume-wise, a more dramatic way than at any other point in human history. And because of the rapid nature of that communication, it's opened up all these really interesting doorways for how you choose to convey your tone to to other people. It's a really interesting subject. Actually, on, on that score, I will agree with you. I'm not anti-texting at all. I do think in many ways that that facilitates communication. Honestly, I would rather text you or text many people than talk on the phone because it saves time. Yeah. But I also think I'm a good communicator. Totally. <laughs> so I can express myself. Yeah. We have to remember the limitations of a sans serif font. <laughs> 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 what we are missing in this equation we are missing actual tone. We are missing body language. We are missing an eye roll. You know, why? sure, you could put that emoji in there. But I don't think we can have a decline of our communication standards, an increase in the written word, and take out the importance of face-to-face -face communication, or at least by voice. Because it's a completely different meaning. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of texting, it's almost like learning another language. It's like the difference between colloquial speech and formal speech, you know, slang and then how you talk to your parents. <laughs> so I'm, mm -hmm. I'm always pro that. Yeah. You know, how do we do that? But to me, you still have to be clear. You know, you can't assume that I know that LOL means laughing out loud. It used to mean lots of love. Mm-hmm. So there are assumptions sometimes that we make in our communication. There's something about the evolution of certain acronyms like LOL or LMAO, which formerly those mean very different things. Like LMAO was, I'm laughing my ass off. But now I almost exclusively and pretty much everyone I know almost exclusively use it as like a very particular expression of misery. Yes. It's never because something's funny. It's because something is like bitterly bad and you're trying to laugh at it. Oh my goodness. See, I didn't know that. I didn't know it had evolved. So this is one of the things I have learned because now I text very regularly with someone much younger than myself, which is one of the people on this call, Layton. Hello. <laughs> and I am frequently, through Layton especially, exposed to tone that is not used among my peer group. I don't think, Layton, we've ever had a real like misunderstanding or anything like that. But I definitely occasionally learn things from your texts that just by the way you're choosing to convey yourself. And I say this totally without judgment. I'm like, oh, this seems like a thing that people are doing. The one actually that I'd never seen before you started doing it, and this is definitely not something you invented because it's a common thing, is instead of OK, KK. Have you ever seen this, Leanne? No, I just see K. I didn't know we were doubling the Ks. Yeah. 
And there's a big difference, at least within the people that I talk to, because I mean, it is totally like the sort of mild code switching that you're talking about. Like the way that I text my parents is very different from the way that I text people that I'm working with, very different from people I'm very close to. But, you know, like KK has a very different meaning to just a single K. And if it's spelled K-A-Y or just a K, like those have very different tones. Like a KK is like, totally agree with you. A K depending on context, just a single letter K is like passive aggressive. Wild. Oh, I always mean it to be aggressive, aggressive. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe I should type that out. K, aggressive, aggressive. So people are not confused. (laughs) (laughs) So people really know. Yeah, but for people that I speak to every day and have for years, there's a very like machine gun collection of thoughts. It's almost never like a full paragraph something. It's very like laden with, I know know this is the thing that you hate, like double exclamation points or tildes or whatever else. (laughs) It's it's probably a nightmare for you. (laughs) I do kind of hate double exclamation points. I'll I'll cop to that. Well, I've stepped it up. I now do triples just because, you know, Mm. I'm an overachiever. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta go for it. There was actually an article about that. A linguist, I don't know who it was, was bemoaning the fact that the exclamation point by itself has lost its power and it wasn't used as much Mm -hmm. as it is now. And so because we've overused it, we have no choice but to up the ante and go to a double exclamation point. It's why I have to put three smiley faces with the laughing with the tears so that you know this is a friendly text. (laughs) So so you're not misreading my tone in any way. Yeah, totally. (laughs) That's right, because now an email without exclamation points sounds cold, right, to a lot of people. And I have to do the pass where I take out all of my deferential exclamation points to sound more normal and not like I'm simply trying to appease everybody by being overly friendly. It's like, all right, I got to get rid of all of these. I have a rule when I'm writing emails, which is I will use exclamation points, but I will never use them in consecutive sentences if I notice it. Yeah. Except for the salutation. Because then if every sentence ends with an exclamation point, you sound like a maniac. Yes. (laughs) It's like, what is this person thinking where every sentence has to end like that? It is really more art than science, it feels like, where it's like, okay, well, I did this as an exclamation point and this is a period, but I think it would actually work better and I'd sound less insane if I put the period in the first one and the, uh, I'm constantly moving punctuation around emails. Right. Which is probably why, you know, young people are afraid of it. You know, they don't, can't use the period. Where does this go? I don't, <laughs> what am I doing? What am I saying? <laughs> I think that's true. Yes, I totally agree. It's a fear of commitment. <laughs> fear yeah. of commitment. I don't want to end this sentence. I don't want to end this communication. Let's just have it go on. That's really <laughs> interesting. Yeah. You're absolutely right about the exclamation point, because if all the sentences are declarative and they all are super important, then none of them are important. You can't, you know, mm-hmm. just... <laughs> an exclamation point at the end of every sentence, unless it's fire, get out now. Now we've got a reason for these exclamation points. Why are you reading this email? (laughs) Go run now. The emoji thing is interesting. I don't want to keep bringing everything back to this book. You guys got to read it. It just learns so much from this. It is very good. I need to finish it. McCullough argues that emoji are a form of gesture. It is very hard to communicate exclusively through emoji in the sense that you can communicate basic yes, no kind of stuff, but you couldn't really write, you know, a book or even a pretty complex thought in just emoji, right? They're not really words. So if they're not words, what are they? And she argues that they're basically using your hands. They're a form of gesturing via text. I'm not going to be able to reconstruct her argument for it because I don't remember it, but 
I found it really compelling and interesting. It would seem, and I, again, I haven't read the book, you're also signaling your intention and what the other person should feel or think after reading that sentence. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's an indication of a direction you should go. You know, a smiley face is going to have a different indication than an angry face or a heart or a broken heart. Yeah. The emojis do have meaning. Those are just the basic ones. You know, when the people really start digging down into like sort of the emoji library, I'm like, yeah, you should just call me because I don't know what you're saying here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exactly it, right? It's what you were saying before. It's all about tone. And it's very hard to convey that via text in a way that's going to be unambiguous. I always think about the Key and Peele texting sketch. Do you know this one? I don't. Which one? It's a great one. So they're texting each other and they're just like, you know, two guys hanging out in their respective apartments. And I forget who's reading which way, but let's say Key texts Peel. He's like, you know, I'm coming over right now. And then Peel be like, oh, you're coming over right now? You're coming over to me right now? It's like, yep. They're just totally misconstruing the tone of each other's texts. And one person thinks he's being super friendly and the other thinks that that person is being very aggressive. Mm -hmm. And they're amazing writers, right? So they've picked these sentences exactly right so that the tone is legitimately ambiguous. Like you could see very plausibly how one person thinks they're being very friendly and the other person thinks they're not. It's worth watching. But the point is that when I think about tone and text, I think about this sketch. Which just strengthens my argument for why punctuation is important. You need to make the flow of your thoughts clear to me. Mm -hmm. Maybe some of this is generational. I've spent a little time, not great time, on dating apps. And it, one of the things I learned that apparently sets me apart, and not necessarily in a good way, is that I write in full sentences when I'm messaging people. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't abbreviate my words. I type in full sentences. I express full thoughts. Oh, and people don't do that on dating apps? Well, apparently not. See, I don't know what's happening on the other side of the aisle. I don't know what other women are doing. <laughs> I'm doing me. And apparently that reveals me to not be 20. <laughs> so that's not how I present myself. I'm a grown woman. I expect a grown ass man. So I will keep writing in my full sentences. At the top of one of my bios, I can't remember which site it is. It literally says words, 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 pretty face. Then the next line is, okay, if you read profiles, you can read this now. <laughs> like, I'm very sarcastic. Nice. There's something about dating apps that has, like, especially been more of a trend in the past few years where people put absolutely nothing in the bio, which is just like... Really? How am I supposed to know anything about you? I can't even tell which person in these pictures is you. Oh, yeah. Wait, so you're just supposed to go based on pictures? Yeah. That's what some of them think. I've been married for, it'll be 14 years this year, so... Oh, Yeah, some of them think, yeah, if I just post this picture, like, no, sir. And your first picture can't be a picture of you with a group of people because always the person that I think is cute, that's not the one whose bio it is. It's like, <laughs> come on. Yeah. <laughs> or you post one picture and it's blurry. Yeah. I don't know if this is as much of a thing in California just because I have not really used dating apps since I've been here. But in the South, it was always like, Oh, your first picture is you posing with a dead animal. This is nightmarish. Oh, yeah. Like, here's a fish I killed. Here's a deer I shot. Like, why would this be? <laughs> like, oh, damn, that's hot. Like, this needless animal death that you're bragging about is so sexy. I think they think I can provide for you, woman. Look at my skills in the wild. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you, sir. 
<laughs> I can start a fire. Yeah, you know, okay, fine. Show me a picture of you in the kitchen. That'd be great. That would fire my heart. Show a picture of you washing your sheets. Oh. And here's, to me, the, the Wild West of it is how long have we had dating apps? You know, this is still a relatively, not brand new, but still relatively new. And how we communicate and what we think we're communicating. What will, you know, the other person or my person hopefully like? You know, so I still think there are some people who get on dating apps and they're still figuring it out. You probably shouldn't post, like I said, a blurry picture of yourself or a picture of you in sunglasses. That's not going to entice me. I need to see your eyes. What are you hiding? I need to see you smiling. You know, every guy looks like it's their mugshot or, you know, they're showing me how hard they can be. It's like, okay, if you want to attract another man, that's great. You're trying to attract a woman. I need to see some teeth, sir. Are you going to be angry all the time? (laughs) It's that weird specific, either like I'm posturing and doing the man selfie face or like you just look constipated. Sir, get some fiber, please. Yeah. I'm sure that men have the same observations on the other side. You know, women are doing duck lips. They're doing filters. They're doing super glossy catfish photos and they don't look like that. I am not, you know, exclusively saying that it's just men that are having trouble. I think once again, I'm amazed that men and women get together at all. Yeah. (laughs) It's just so, do we know how to even talk to each other? The thing that always strikes me as the most complicated about dating apps, and again, I have no experience with this. I've been married for 14 years. So tell me if this is way off base. But it it seems like a lot of these apps have both people who are looking for like relationships as well as people who are looking to just kind of hook up. And sorting that out seems so complicated and time-consuming that it just terrifies me. Is that accurate for a lot? I know some apps are there. It's like especially for, you know, people looking for a given type of relationship or whatever. And there's definitely hookup apps that are specifically that. But it seems like a lot of them are kind of everyone's thrown into the same pond. You just got to figure out. Is that accurate? I think so. I mean, they're getting better at you being able to select what you're looking for. Some people say, yeah, I'm here for casual. You know, I'm not looking for serious. I'm just looking for a hookup. What's really weird are the people that have all of those things listed. And it's like, hmm, that's greedy. You should make a choice. (laughs) (laughs) But then you also now have to either step out on faith and assume that people are being honest about their intentions. They may or may not be. Right. There was just an article, I think it was about a week ago, about how dating app scams have just exploded with people being home during the pandemic or being more isolated. People are lonely. They're a little bit more vulnerable. And that's where the con artists really sort of swoop in. And, you know, after a few exchanges, they're getting people to send them money, which I find baffling. Uh, That's what I was going to ask. So the scam is they like start a conversation. They say, if you send me money, I can do this kind of thing. That's the sort of scam. Right. Or they need money for a bill. And mind you, they groom people. It's not the first ask. Of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Out of the box. But you gain a little bit of trust. and It's like, oh, I have this bill due. Or the pandemic is the perfect excuse not to meet up in person. But people are, oh, I can't meet you. I just got diagnosed with COVID. Mm -hmm. So that's an excuse not to show yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My webcam is broken. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As if this wasn't hard enough. So you have to not get scammed. You have to not assume, but, you know, how credible is this person? 
you know, on what they're saying. Some of it is obvious. Like to me, you cannot be a sergeant in the army. You can't tell me that you're that and you can't spell sergeant. (laughs) (laughs) That's a tip off to me. It was one guy who misspelled his own name. His name was Brian, and he spelled it at the top of the paragraph with an I. Oh, yeah, that's a problem. And spelled it later on with a Y. And it's like, yeah, sir, listen, if you're going to run a con, the first thing you need to know is your name. (laughs) Come on. Well, speaking as a Brian, we have segmented ourselves into the I's and the Y's. Yes. And these two factions, there's this constant war between the I's and the Y's. And there's no common ground whatsoever. No. And you got to pick one. So there's no one who's riding both sides of that line, on one side or the other. Exactly. You have said it so perfectly. The I Bryans and the Y Bryans, very militant. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) It's like the Shans, but there are more (laughs) factions of Shans. That's correct. You know, is it S-E-A-N? Is it S H? A-W-N, is it S-H-A-U-N? You know, the battles are raging here. And some of those fuckers put accents on those vowels. Oh, true. Yeah. Because they're trying to be extra special. Scammer rule number one, know your own name. Know your own name. (laughs) (laughs) There's also like the level of context collapse as you're talking about, like, I don't know what this person is here for and we're all just kind of lumped together into the same thing with, like, unclear expectations and God forbid anybody communicate clearly what they're up to. But there's also, like, the level of acceptability ghosting has gotten to. Yeah. Even, like, you're a few months in and then they ghost. It's like, what? Okay. So we're just going to do this? We're going to behave like a little child? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Ghosting is real. (laughs) It's funny, I had a joke uh, a couple years ago. I said, I don't know if I got ghosted or if it's Ramadan. What just happened here? (laughs) Did somebody give me up for Lent? What happened? (laughs) Getting back to what we were talking about before with the different ways of communicating with text, there's different forms of ghosting, which include responding with emoji and stuff like this too. This is not quite the same thing, but I had a friend that I, I was texting with a while, you know, a couple months ago, and I was like, hey man, it's been a while. We should do a backyard thing, like would love to do it. And he just, on the iPhone, he didn't text the thumbs up emoji. He just thumbs up it. And then with no follow-up. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, you saw it. What is that? Are, 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 <laughs> are we getting together or not? I mean, yeah, it's just very confusing. It seems like there's multiple levels of ghosting. I will say as a planner, the onus was on you. When you said, hey, we should do something, and you got the thumbs up back, you were supposed to reply with possible dates because you already got the buy-in. You got the thumbs up buy-in, but now you were expected to do the work because it was your suggestion. Mm. See how I interpreted that? I agree with you. (laughs) But that's just my interpretation. No, no, but I'm not providing the full context here. Yes, you're totally right. I'm not providing the full context in the message I sent him. It gave him some dates in that original text. Ah. I'm not providing the full context. It was a much more confusing thumbs up. I'm not going to argue my case here because I don't have the full text in front of me and I hate being inaccurate. But I felt like I had enough information on that. But there's also this other thing. I try to be compassionate because sometimes the things I get mad about are things that I've also done and I may not have done them out of malice. You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. one of your many inboxes can just get away from you. Absolutely. Did somebody hit you up on Messenger? Did they send you a text? Did they send you a message on your Instagram, which takes me forever to figure out how to get to my messages on Instagram? And then, oh my gosh, did they contact me on LinkedIn? Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yes. There are so many points of access 
that I literally sometimes don't want to check anything, you know, because my email is overflowing, my messenger is overflowing. Some people will send me messages in two places, same message, two places, and my brain kind of shuts down. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is too much. I tweeted something, I don't know, within the past year, which was exactly something to this effect, which was like, look, I have so many different pipes coming in, in the world of messages. There's so many different feeds. And is there any way that people have found to organize these? Mm. Someone responded, try not being old. (laughs) And I was like, you can go fuck yourself because that's not the issue here. The issue is not that I'm old, which I'm not saying I'm not old, but I think it's a bigger problem than that. I'm young. I can't, I get the message box overwhelmed. Yes. Or it's like, it has to be a thing on my to-do list, like respond to messages. And then I feel like an asshole because it's like, I'm sorry, I left you hanging for two days. I've just like, if I've not even touched Instagram, I am sorry. Yes. And each platform has a friend you value who only responds to you or communicates on that platform. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I have one friend I was just messaging with yesterday who only does Instagram. DMs. A bunch of other friends will only do Facebook DMs. Other friends will do Twitter, some text. It's everything. If I choose to say, look, I'm never checking my Instagram messages again, I'm essentially saying I don't value this person's communications, which is definitely not true. Look, I'm sure I could do the work and be like, hey, man, you know, can you just like text me instead? Well, and also if you're going to choose one, why choose Instagram Messenger? It's like the worst one. It's the worst one. It's by far the worst one. It is. Twitter coming close second. Oh, for sure. Because Twitter, to me, has a higher creep factor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's just me. I think there's a business opportunity here. Yes. Clearly, this is a frustration that many people share. It is not an age thing. It can be, you know, a time and access and boundaries thing as well. Mm-hmm. But there's a business model here where you put in all of your social media and email things and everything is funneled to one place. Yes. Yeah. Now, there will be people who complain about that. Of course. That's focusing the overwhelm, not reducing it. But it might be nice. Some people might enjoy having that option. Well, you know what this is? <laughs> what is it? This is Ryan's woof from The Office. It's true. If you remember this episode of The Office. I've never seen The Office. Good for you. So Ryan, who's the BJ Novak character, kind of like the smarmy, annoying intern, he starts a like a messaging platform called Woof, which is, I believe, spelled W-U-P-H-F. Layton, is that correct? Yeah, I believe so. And what it does is when you send a message to that, it simultaneously texts, faxes, DMs, calls and communicates it to you through every platform you can possibly imagine. Oh. Let's just get Woof 2.0 in here. Maybe the office was on to something. I don't know. I agree with you, Leanne. I think this is like a legitimate business idea. It is an endemic problem right now. Everyone I know has this issue. Folks, let's make some fucking money. Yeah, it's an app that's called One, and it'll let you know, hey, this is the message you got from Twitter. This is the message you got from Instagram. This is what your email is. And you could still choose to just also answer your email separately, but if you can just add a glance. Now, I mean, this doesn't really work for high volume people. This is just just too much. But I just remember it took me a while to get acclimated to Facebook Messenger and that there were people that that's where they would reach out to me on. And there's two messengers. There's the messenger for the people that know you and the other folder for people who don't. It took me years going, there's another folder? <laughs> like, what, what is all this other mail I'm missing? Oh, when I found that other folder, I lost my mind. 
I was like, how has this been here the whole time? Mm-hmm. I had no idea. It's awful. Someone like was posting about, hey, don't forget to check your requests or whatever the fuck it is. And some of them were from people that I wanted to be in touch with. Yeah. Oh, so upsetting. Yeah. Dislike it. And I also think that we should introduce our guests now that we're 55 <laughs> minutes into the record. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. As is always the case. Leanne, I assure you this is the regular thing. We usually get 45 minutes in. Is this regular? Okay. It's regular, yes. It was not intentional to start out with, and then it became very intentional. And we've gone whole episodes where we just forget. (laughs) We're very professional. And your listeners are like, who was that? Who was that Swami-voiced woman? It adds some mystery, (laughs) you know? Yes. Well, everybody, this is Leighton from Leighton Night with Brian Wack. Hi, that's me. I've been eating a packet of Taco Bell hot sauce like it's a go-gurt this entire time. (laughs) That other voice is Brian. And mystery guest, would you care to introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. I am Leanne Lord. That's it. No other names. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, great. Perfect. I love it. I am a stand-up comedian, author. Uh, my other job is senior manager here at the Urban Shady Pines as a, as a caregiver for my mom. Plate spinning is what I'm doing here. Yeah. And people call me a cat mom, mm. but no, I'm a cat consort because we have to negotiate this relationship on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's on the cat's terms. I'm very fond of saying that dogs teach you about unconditional love. Cats teach you about consent. So it is indeed very different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Leanne and I know each other from this science conference, Nexus, that Leanne has emceed two, three, how many times now? Uh, three years. Yeah, three goes. Yeah. Three goes. So it's like a pop science conference that happens, I was going to say every summer, but I think the summer thing is newish. I've been on the organizing board for a little bit, and Leanne has been our MC for a while. And so we've worked together on that for a while now. Yeah, it's a blast. It's a total blast. Four-day conference. I get to introduce amazing speakers and and hear them talk and then get up and go, what was that? (laughs) What did they just say? (laughs) That was really smarty pants stuff. And I'm trying to remember, were you plugged in at all to the skeptic kind of scene before that? Or was that new to you? No, no, I was. That's kind of how I got recommended to you guys, because I sort of wandered in a few years before that. I was a member of CFI Harlem, and then I was a part of the advertising campaign for African Americans for humanism. They did a national campaign, and I was the New York face. So I was sort of around. I was sort of here. That's how people got to know me. Oh, yeah. And I started getting recommended for stuff like, hey, if you can do this, we need a new MC for this. That's oddly enough how I got down to Dragon Con. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't know there was a skeptic track at Dragon Con. I mean, I didn't even know Dragon Con. I know I'm damaging my nerd cred here, but now that I know it, I can't live without it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I would go back and forth between the skeptic track and the science track just to have a space where you can just nerd out loud is phenomenal. Yeah. What are the hot button topics for the skeptics community right now? Yeah. Again, I get asked to do things. I MC Skeptical Inquirer Presents, which is produced by Skeptical Inquirer Magazine and CFI. Oh, yeah, of course. Real quick, for those who don't know, CFI is the Center for Inquiry, yes. which is a rationalist organization. Yes. So they couldn't do the conference last year, their annual conference, which was SciCon. 
And what grew out of not doing that was having these bi-monthly lectures and these presentations. And so some of the speakers that would have been brought out to Vegas are now doing online presentations. And I'm sort of the host that'll blather on and give them a lovely introduction and then organize the Q&A. And the main topics that keep coming up again and again are sort of like QAnon conspiracy theories. How do we deal with this? How do we deal with science denial? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we deal with con artists? That was one of our popular ones. Like there's this running theme of how do you combat the crazy? And unfortunately, a lot of it is speaking to the choir. Yeah. Like the people who are signing up for this stuff almost always agree with it. But what I think is one of the very sincere through lines that always comes out in the questions is what do I say to my friend? What do I say to my uncle? What do I say to my cousin? So the skeptic community or the the secular community is still trying to rescue people. (laughs) We're still trying to have logical conversations. And how do we do that? And when do you let go? Which it seems like some people still aren't willing to do. They think we can rescue everybody in the cult. Just so off the top of my head, those are some of the topics that are coming up because it seems like those things have grown exponentially. And what I'm learning is that they've always been there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just that some ground is more fertile than others for vaccine denial or for conspiracy theories. Yeah, Yeah, it's social media makes it so truth doesn't really exist on the internet because it is just everything in flux and unreliable sources and people buying into lies that feel comforting because even if it's like, ah, the mass global organization is lying to you, it's like still an indication, at least from that mindset of like, oh, somebody has a plan. At least someone up there has a plan and there's order to this relentless entropy. Like in a way, it feels like a replacement for the idea of God. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's looking for a teddy bear, as I call it. Everybody's looking for answers. And it's really hard to be an adult. You're an adult. Like, here's your book with all the answers. (laughs) That doesn't really exist. And to have any uncertainty as well as ongoing rampant change is difficult for people. And so it leaves them open to being led by anyone that can say something convincingly and with a bit of charisma. And now we're off to the races. Mm -hmm. And the really wild and unusual and awful thing is that we had, amongst his many other wonderful qualities, a conspiracy theorist as president for four years. And, I mean, damaging in so, so many ways. But just as the head of our country promoting all kinds of bullshit literally all the time Yeah, exhausting. Has just made the conspiracy stuff go nuts. Obviously, before he was even elected, he had all the bullshit birther kind of stuff. But then once he was in the White House, and especially with COVID, it really exploded in the last year. It's wild. There's so many things. Like I've been joking with my friends that somebody's entire PhD thesis will be 2020. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what they're going to work on. But it's to the point where you could actually know my specialization is in March 2020 and my specialization is in July 2020. Like that's how hard 2020 was. Like I feel like I lived a decade in a year. Yeah. yeah. But there are a couple of complicating factors here. We just had Stephanie Kemmerer did a presentation for us where she used to be a 9-11 denier. Oh, wow. You know, conspiracy theory person. And she, for several reasons, finally got herself out of it. 
And it made her start paying attention to these. And she did a presentation for us. She wrote two great articles for the magazine and she did a presentation on QAnon. And it gave you sort of the scope and the depth and the breadth. And one of the problems with conspiracy theories is that there's always a little tiny kernel of truth in there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And people just take that and run with it. The other thing, and this is my opinion, is that Hollywood has primed us with so many movies about this that it gets into your subconscious and it seems real. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I've seen this movie. This is exactly how it works. No, that's not how it works. But again, we've been primed through media. Yeah. And then on the science side of it, I got to interview, and I'm blanking on her name right now, but she co-authored a great book. The title is Mistakes Were Made, But Not By Me. And it's about cognitive dissonance, Mm -hmm. which all of us, all of us, and sometimes the smarter you are, the harder it is, (laughs) you know, but we're all subjected to this. Carol Tavers? Yes. Oh my gosh. I feel bad for blanking on her name, but I read the book. I totally loved her. I enjoyed talking with her to the point where like, if I go back to school, I want to go back to school for what she's doing because that science of our brain and how we make decisions is so interesting to me. And this is any of us. Once you make a decision, now you go sort of down the rabbit hole of justifying that decision you made and you keep doubling down even in the face of other evidence because the hardest thing for somebody to do is to take a step back and go, yeah, I was wrong. Uh Because you've done all these things to justify your decision, some of which hurt other people. And to make an about face on that is too difficult. It is easier to double down. It's easier to storm the Capitol. Yeah, Mm. totally. I've not been fully in the skeptical community, really. I'm kind of on the fringe of it. I feel way too, but they keep pulling me in to do stuff. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I mean, I was really interested. I read a bunch of the Shermer books, I don't know, in the early 2000s and that kind of stuff. And that's how I first even found out it was a thing. And then I was just like, let's do a couple podcasts like the Skeptics Guide guys and that sort of stuff. But I think the work that is going on, for all the reasons you said, Leanne, it's so important advocating for science and critical thinking and rationality and stuff like this, to me, it is like the defining struggle of humanity as a whole right now. And there's lots of other, you know, things that you could point to as well. But a lot of it seems to come down to this basic, like, how do people think sort of stuff? And that's what people in the skeptical scene are trying to engage with. You would think for as far along as we are in human development, that that would be what we're focusing on. And from the very primary levels of education, like why is every school not teaching critical thinking? Yeah. Why are we not learning about anger management Mm -hmm. from very young? I could have used some anger management in kindergarten. There was some rough bullies there. (laughs) We all could. (laughs) How are we not learning to communicate better. There's more than just, you know, like math and social studies. And I I think this is the integral part of our development are these skills that we have. And depending on, you know, where you grow up or who your parents are, it's really just the luck of the draw. And it shouldn't be. You said something that made me look up to my corkboard here. I have this quote that I've had on my board forever. I believe it's H.G. Wells. It says, human history becomes more and more race between education and catastrophe. I sometimes feel like catastrophe is winning. Yeah. It definitely felt that way for a while. Yes. <laughs> it probably is still that way, but it's hard. I try to be optimistic. Aww. I don't think I'm succeeding, but. <laughs> <laughs> but what matters is you're trying. Yeah. And speaking of optimism, sort of, kind of, I'm justifying my hard left. We should do segments. Yes. 
you know, Layton, for once, I agree with you. <laughs> and that's agree with two exclamation points. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, just to spite you. So actually, Leanne, you're on the show in an interesting time because we just celebrated our one-year anniversary of being a podcast. Congratulations. Thank you. So we have a pop culture recommendation segment called What's Poppin'. And in the past, the old Brian would have used this opportunity to attempt a perennially unsuccessful bit about the theme song. But I am turning over a new leaf this week. Leighton, as I'm sure you'll be pleased to know, because Leighton hates this bit. She's always hated it. She never wants me to do it. I'm never pleased. It never works. So I'm not going to do it anymore. So I'm committing now in front of both of you and our audience. This is the first week without this bit. I'm not doing it anymore. This is a fucking fake out. I don't trust like this. This is a false flag. You can take me at my word or not. That is your choice. I can't convince you how to feel about me. No, you can't. (laughs) (laughs) We're just going to do it. Now, Leanne, you're not going to hear the theme song, but it will be put in in post. This is the theme song for What's Poppin'. I'm not doing the bit this week. It's that simple. What's poppin'? What's poppin'? All right. So that was the theme song. That's it, Layden. Did I not tell you? That's what it is. Yeah. There's no fake out. Okay. Brian, do you, do, I need to do the thing like when you're training a dog and they do a good thing and you give them a treat because they didn't do the bad thing. So you go first. Brian, what's popping? You know what? I don't like your tone. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't. You're not misinterpreting anything. It's It's blatantly <laughs> aggressive. But yes, thank you. I will go first. (laughs) What's popping for me this week is, I don't think it was last week. I think it was a week before we lost a really wonderful pianist, Chick Corea. Oh. Yeah. You know him? Yeah. Just one of the defining jazz pianists of the latter half of the 20th century, like up there with Herbie Hancock and Bill Evans and Oscar Peterson. Of the piano greats that are out there, Chick Corea was way, way up there. And, you know, he started in very traditional jazz stuff and then had a lot of like kind of fusion stuff in the 70s. I loved his work. Just a very delicate and interesting pianist. There's a million different Chick Corea songs you could recommend to people. But the one I want to point people towards is the one that has just stuck with me forever. It's Spain, which is on one of his albums with Return to Forever, which is like his fusion group. The album's called Light as a Feather. But there's just something about the song Spain on that album, which is, it is just pure magic start to finish. It's got Chick on the electric piano. It's got a flute. It's got some vocal stuff going on. And it has a melody line, which is so interesting and syncopated and cool. Every time I hear it, my brain can't quite wrap around where the beat is. I love it so much. If you've never heard Spain by Chick Corea, you got to go check it out. It became a jazz standard after he wrote it. It's a really, really wonderful tune. And the arrangement is incredible too. So everyone go listen to Spain by Chick Corea, RIP. That's a beautiful little pop. Yep. Leanne, what's popping? This might be a little nerdy, but I'm a Star Trek fan. Everybody knows that. And so CBS All Access takes my money (laughs) on a regular basis. Mine too, for exactly the same reason. Yes. So again, I was only using it to watch Star Trek. And what I stumbled across a couple of weeks ago, about a week ago, was the new reboot of The Equalizer, starring Queen Latifah. What? Yes. 
No. Whoa. They rebooted The Equalizer starring Queen Latifah? Yes. That's awesome. They went in a different direction. And The Equalizer, I actually had to look this up because it goes way, way back. It was originally done with Robert McCall, British guy. You know, it's sort of the guy that when you had nowhere else to turn to, you could call him and he would come and fix your problems. There was also the Denzel Washington version, the movie. Well, I don't remember that at all. Yeah. So I'm a little predisposed. And so I tune in with Queen Latifah. First of all, I'm a fan of hers from the way back. You know, I would probably tune in to watch her blow her nose. Okay, I'm just I'm a huge Queen Latifah fan. And this is such a great role for her to cast it as a Black woman who worked for the CIA and left. She's kicking ass and taking names and fixing problems. It gives me all the feels in the right place for probably the same reason that I love Star Trek Discovery. I like seeing my sisters in that lead role doing it. Mm-hmm. But the Equalizer actually makes sense more so than Star Trek Discovery. But that's a whole other thing. <laughs> I want to talk about Discovery when you finish the Equalizer thing because I, don't, I have not talked to anyone else that's watched the whole thing. I want to get into it just a little bit. Oh, sure. Yes. I'm not a person that asks for recommendations, you know, what should I watch? Because I feel like that's putting the responsibility of my joy on somebody else. Okay, so I'm just going to watch what I want. (laughs) And it's delightful to stumble across something and give it a chance and actually enjoy it. And I'm mad now because CBS is one of those streaming services that they don't drop the entire season you have to go week to week. So I'm feeling like a little kid now. It's like, when is it coming out? When is it coming out? And you actually have to now wait <laughs> or something, which waiting to watch something is a very different experience than sitting there and watching 10 episodes at once. It's sort of rebuilding my patience muscle. Again, I was delighted. I don't like dark shows because the world was too dark for a while. So it's nice to sort of have a show where, yeah, somebody's going to come in and help you. <laughs> help fix things. It's like my grown-up Santa. Yeah. (laughs) I actually, I refused to watch Black Mirror because I was like, I'm already too depressed by the world. I don't need dystopian shit like in front of me every week. Everyone says it's amazing, but I can't do it. It is amazing. They have five seasons. They had me for the first four. But as life changed, as my life changed, I'm like, you know what? It's a little too dark for me because it's not just far in the future this feels possible right yeah it's it's the idea of like 15 minutes into the future exactly yeah that's why i couldn't watch handmaid's tale i know it's beautifully shot i know it's well acted it is well written it is everything it could possibly be but it felt too possible and it felt too dystopian and i just couldn't go there mm-hmm. But here's the fun thing. You don't have to. (laughs) That's what a remote control is for. Yep. Okay. So I want to talk about Discovery real quick before we move on to you, Layton. So I just finished season three of Discovery. And I got to say, I love so much about this show. I think Sonequa Martin-Green is incredible. Really crushes this part. Doug Jones is the best. I think Saru is one of the all-time great Star Trek characters. But nothing really makes sense on it ever. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm okay with that. Do you agree with that? I'm such a Star Trek fan that whatever they serve me, except for Lower Decks, I couldn't, whatever, (laughs) I'm going to take, you know. And so I was loving the show from the very first episode until somebody explained 
all the holes in it. And I'm like, if you're going to explain all the problems, <laughs> yeah, okay. I see that. <laughs> There's just so much I'm willing to overlook. Yes, me too. And because really, to me, the characters are pretty great overall. And then I can kind of work with everything else. I was actually talking about this in a previous episode of the podcast. In season three, when fucking David Cronenberg shows up, I can't even remember what his role was. He was the old guy with the white hair and glasses who shows up and is talking to her in the future. Oh, that guy. Yeah. That's David Cronenberg. I need more. Why is creepy guy here? (laughs) (laughs) Right. He's there because he's, you know, an acclaimed horror director. And I guess he just had nothing better to do. (laughs) It was kind of like the Whoopi Goldberg thing where it's like, oh, we can get this incredible person who is a fan of what we do. Yeah, we should absolutely cast them because they'll be amazing. So I think probably he's a Star Trek fan. And they were like, oh, you want to be on the show? That's what I'm hoping for. Like, Listen, can I just walk on as a yeoman and give somebody some coffee? Now, I know that's a very original series, but I don't care. Yeah. You know, can I be part of the Star Trek franchise? That would be my ultimate bucket list. Make my day. I can die now. I've been part of Star Trek. Yeah. Let's manifest this for you. Let's make it happen. (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. I can see why fanboys, I can see why classic Star Trek folks or even next generation folks would have a hard time with this. I give you an odd story. I had to have my heart checked out a couple of years ago and I'm getting an EKG. I'm laying on the table. I'm already kind of exposed here, literally. And the guy who's putting the little electrodes or whatever it is on me sees my Star Trek necklace and we just start talking Star Trek. It made an awkward situation actually feel better because now I'm distracted. (laughs) But he had jumped on board immediately to uh, Star Trek Discovery. And I didn't because I'm like, I'm not paying for another streaming service. So I boycott it for a year. Yes. But he's like, oh my gosh, you have to watch it. It's really great. And he explained to me all the reasons why I wouldn't like it. Because we were having a really in-depth conversation. So I would love to know what you think. And I'm like, well, I'll try to have another heart problem so that I can come back <laughs> after watching it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but he actually primed me to go, okay, this is why you may not like it. Set that aside. He really tried to sort of, you know, clear the plate from all the other versions of Star Trek that I'd seen and said, if you can just accept it on the face of it, you'll have a better time. And so I walked in to the franchise with a little bit of preparation. And then I was also able to binge the entire season at once. I didn't watch episode to episode until season three. Yes, I did that exact same thing. There's so much about it that I love. I found myself defending her, Michael Burnham, a lot. They're like, oh, she's so emotional. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, what would you be if you were a human raised on Vulcan during your teen years? Yeah. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Cut the girls slack. I like her character a lot. And again, some of the characters in the show are just really great Star Trek characters. Yeah. It's just the plots and how quickly some shit is resolved. It's just like, uh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Someone else pointed out to me, you know, it's not episodic. You know, you have to watch the whole thing. Yes. It's always the entire weight of the universe is the problem. It's not like, oh, we just got to fix the warp core. It is the entire universe that's at stake. Like, it's always on level 10. Always. For these people. Yes, and it's always only Michael that can fix everything. Right. It's entirely up to her to fix the entire universe all the time. (laughs) Which, okay, fair enough. Her and Ensign Tilly. Like, how is an Ensign... Yeah. Where's the guy running the engine room? Where's that guy? (laughs) An ensign who was promoted to captain. 
Yeah. In season three for a while. Yeah. What? There must be 500 people in line for this job. Easily. Okay. I could talk about this for a while. (laughs) Yeah. So there are some things where you just kind of cock your head to the side and like, really? Red's getting the job? Really? And listen, she had to grow on me. I didn't like her initially. Like, how did you get through the Academy with all of this crying? Yeah. Like, seriously? (laughs) (laughs) Totally. I love, God, I can't remember the doctor's name, but Stamets and the Doctor. Those two guys and their relationship is fantastic. I love them. And one of the best parts of the show. It's all about the characters for me. Yes, that's one of the reasons why I love Michelle Yeoh. Michael Burnham's mom, that's not her mom. Giorgio. Yeah, Captain Giorgio. Yeah. Adore her. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, she's just so... She's the best. Unapologetically badass. And I love when I see female characters like that. I also got a chance to meet her. No. This is a couple years ago at a Warner Brothers holiday party. And just a delight. And it's funny, I was there with a friend of mine who's a film critic. That's why I was invited to the party. Well, he was at the party and invited me. And of course, I'm wearing my Star Trek necklace. He tells Michelle Yeoh all about me, brings me over to meet her. And she sees my necklace and she goes, oh, wow, you're the real deal. Like, you're really into the franchise. I said, yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) She rummages around in her purse and finds a Star Trek pin for me and gave it to me. No. What? Oh. It was not a Star Trek event. It was for a different movie, which I hadn't even seen. <laughs> but yeah, so she finds this pin and gives it to me. She goes, I only have one left. And she's rubbing to where she found it. She gave it to me. And I was like, wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's like the perfect interaction with somebody who you really admire. Yeah. yeah. And so Layden in this series, Michelle Yeoh plays essentially a villain. I mean, it's a little bit of a moral gray area. But she's like aligned with the quote unquote good guys for a significant portion. But she is basically a a straight up, you know, do what you got to do to get ahead, take advantage of everybody kind of person. And she just crushes it. Listen, I love a chaotic neutral. She's definitely a little more than neutral. Okay. She's more on the side of evil, but it's great. All right. Anyway, we have delayed long enough. Thank you, Leanne, for indulging me in Discovery. No, for sure. Her character is uncompromised by ethics or being seen as good. She does not have these boundaries to her behavior. Yes. And she doesn't play herself like a bad character. She's playing herself like a character that has goals and aims to achieve. Yep, that's exactly right. Look, we could also talk about Picard, which is a whole other thing. That's a whole other thing. Ah, the shot Vash. Oh my goodness. Best costume. I'm sorry. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) Layton, what's poppin'? What's popping for me is one of my favorite writers, Patricia Lockwood, who people might be familiar with from having a very funny Twitter and just being a very talented poet. Her memoir, Priest Daddy, was one of my favorite books of the past few years, but she just put out a novel called No One Is Talking About This that's about the internet. I was just cackling. That's the thing about her writing is like makes you just hoot and holler with laughter and then just makes you feel like your heart is going to come out of your chest. Like it's just such beautiful prose. I can't recommend it enough. I will read a passage. Like I read it on Kindle and I highlighted like half of the book. Just a sample quote. The problem, she sounded militant like a lesser known suffragette. A foreign gnat was stuck in her mascara and her mouth tasted of the minutely different preparation of coffee that Australians found superior to the latte. The audience looked at her encouragingly. The problem is that we're rapidly approaching the point where all our dirty talk is going to include sentences like, fuck up my dopamine website, end quote. (laughs) 
It's about how Twitter is bad. And it's just like a very, very beautiful book. And I highly recommend checking out her other books. Like she's just amazing. That's awesome. I can't wait to read it. Nice. Yeah. All right. So let's go to our final segment, yes. which is a gratitude exercise included with some petty grievances called Peaches and Lemons. The theme song goes here. Peaches and Lemons. So we're each going to go around and share one lemon, which is our petty grievance. And then we'll each share three peaches, which are nice things that we're happy about. So let's get some juicy lemons in here. I'm going to go real quick. My lemon is that right before we started recording today, my Wi-Fi shut off and my computer bricked. And I ran inside and hooked up the 200-foot Ethernet cord that I purchased (laughs) two weeks ago and now have a long blue Ethernet cord running from my kitchen outside the house into the garage where I record this. <laughs> and it is a death trap for everybody in my family. My daughter has already scraped her knee by tripping over this fucking thing. And Rachel, my wife, hates it. It is an eyesore. It's a really unpleasant shade of blue. And it is the only way to get reliable internet in the garage. So I believe I've complained about this exact thing in the recent past, but... I was like, all right, ready to go. Time for Leanne. And then everything went, and (laughs) I ran inside with a giant spool of ethernet and then ran outside. And it was a very tense moment. Everything worked out. We're all here. That's very cyber of you. That's very hack the planet. Yeah, that's what I do. That's my lemon. Uh, Layden? My lemon is, you know, we we have, you know, street trash cans and street recycling cans. And I just beg my neighbors, please break down your fucking boxes before you put them in the goddamn recycling. Other people got to put shit in there. You can't put a full unbroken down. It takes two seconds. Just break it down and shove it in there. (laughs) I love it. Our street cans are overflowing and, you know, people go through our trash constantly, which is great. Full license. Don't mind. But if you're going to go through the trash... Do not then just throw the trash on the ground around the trash. Put it back in the can, please, for the love of God. City living. That's my lemon. <laughs> Leanne. Snow. My lemon is snow. Oh, yeah. We've gotten a lot of it here. Now, listen, we were probably due. We've been sort of skating by the last couple of winters. But the bill has come due. And, you know, we've kind of had these back-to-back snowstorms. And I'm not in the team snow is pretty camp that's not me because i have a corner house (laughs) and that's a lot of snow to shovel oh yeah pro tip don't break up with a guy in winter because you're gonna need him to shovel everybody Uh (laughs) 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 just throwing it out there just wait till the spring wait till everything thaws you know and then you can reevaluate your relationship But I will say that the only upside is that my neighbor has taken pity on me and he has a snowblower that he loves to use. But it's like just even the forecast of snow and I just start dreading it because to me that translates as work. That translates into more isolation. That means I got to dig my car out and like, ah, I don't ski. This is ridiculous. Yeah. Leighton and I are both in LA and we get none of that. Yeah. You know, I have all the sympathy in the world, but also I grew up in North Jersey, so I miss it, although I definitely don't miss shoveling it. But I do. it is a bummer to me that my kid is not growing up in a place where it snows, you know? 
I think snow is beautiful from a distance. Like if I were in LA, oh, snow's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Look at that. That's pretty. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen snow in like over five years, probably. That's amazing. So I have the idealized view of it of it all. Someday that will be me because every year I'm like, how am I in New York still? This is crazy. I married a Minnesotan. Oh. Yeah, who looks at East Coast snow and is like, you fucking amateurs. Oh, yeah. You, know, you have no idea what you think cold and snow is. Uh-uh. I love Minnesota. Well, let me clarify. I love Minneapolis. Yes. And yeah, they do winter. They do winter. They do winter. They absolutely do. They have those skyways that go between the buildings downtown. Yes, they do. Do you know about these, Layden? Nope. So if you are in downtown Minneapolis and you want to get from one building to another, you never need to go outside because there is this intricate <laughs> system of skyways connecting the buildings. It's like a gigantic indoor mall, kind of. Yeah. But once you're in, you're in and you can just get around. It's pretty great. This is wild. I've never been exposed to this. Oh, yeah. It's like a big human habit trail. Yes. It's fantastic. Yeah, St. Paul (laughs) has it to some extent, too. And St. Paul also has the Mall of America, which as a, I'm a recovering shopaholic, I've made my pilgrimages to the Mall of America and have enjoyed my time there. (laughs) I would have said that, too, until I married a Minnesotan and she told me, it's in fucking Bloomington and get it right. Like, she's been very, very aggressive about this just so we don't get angry Minnesotans writing in. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I thought I was getting it right because it's not in Minneapolis. Right. No, I believe me. This is very important to Minnesotans. <laughs> no, it is. The other thing is, is that they don't go. No, they don't. <laughs> they wouldn't be caught dead at the mall. That's tourists like me. Yes. <laughs> Shall we speed run our peaches? Yes, absolutely. Leanne, you've been so generous with your time today, so I want to not take any more of your day. This is awesome. I'm I'm avoiding a whole bunch of stuff I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> so is- okay, great. Oh, hell yeah. Awesome. I love it. All right, so I'll go first. Just to clarify this, I hope you know I was not saying fucking get it right towards you. <laughs> that was my wife talking to me as a bit, so I hope that didn't come across as... Oh, it didn't. It didn't. Okay, good. Good, good. Even though there weren't emojis to guide me and there was no punctuation, I was okay. <laughs> Look at this communication. Cool. Go ahead, Brian. All right. So my peaches. Peach number one, uh, the Aquarium of the Pacific in Long Beach has reopened outdoor only for the time being. And because I am the parent of a small child and desperate to find 15 minutes at a time to keep her occupied, we went to the outdoor aquarium exhibits yesterday. Timed entry. Masks, distanced, all that good stuff. And the rays were going bananas in the touch pool. (laughs) And we were at the ray pool and they would come up to the side, like going almost vertically out of the water. And I asked the woman who was standing there, the aquarium person, I said, what is up with the rays? And she goes, oh, they're like dogs. They just miss people. They just want pets. (laughs) That's so sweet. We've been to this ray touch tank before They're always just like doing whatever they're swimming around, doing whatever they do. And they could not get enough attention. It was amazing. Well, yeah, I'm sure they haven't had people touch them. Yeah. Same. Same. (laughs) Yeah. They're they're just like weird, slimy skin, feels so good. And they're just majestic little creatures. So that was number one. It was nice to, A, to go to the aquarium, but also just to see some cool aquatic animals doing what they do. Number two is on the way down to the aquarium. I like to play different music for my daughter because I think that's important. And I was like, let me try something 
really out there. So I played her, I forget exactly when this album is from, I think the late 60s, experimental rock album Trout Mask Replica by Captain Beefheart. It was like produced by Zappa and is borderline unlistenable. <laughs> it doesn't even have proper songs. It's a bunch of people with badly tuned instruments kind of screaming into microphones. Is it a good album? No, it's really not. It's considered a like landmark thing, but it's really, really hard to listen to. Every once in a while, you play some out there stuff for your kid, and they're like, yes, that. I tried it. We got five minutes in, and she said something she never says, which is, I really, really don't like this. <laughs> and she immediately rejected it in a way I've never seen her reject any music, and we turned it off. And I just thought, okay, now we know. She doesn't like Trout Mask Replica, which puts her in amazing company <laughs> because essentially no one likes this album. Beautiful. Juicy. Love it. Yep. And my final peach is this actually just happened right before we recorded. People, we got some Mars footage out there right now. Some high-res Mars footage. Oh, fuck. And it is unbelievably great. First audio recording of Mars. Oh, fuck. Well, there's the yeah. fake one, the fake Mars audio that was going around late last week. Sure. But I'm looking at one from 12 minutes ago. Is it from NASA? Uh, yes. Okay, good. Did you see this, Leanne, the footage from today? Oh, I did not. It's so good. <laughs> Science! Just makes me excited. High-res images of another planet! Oh, incredible. Those are my peaches. Nice. Beautiful. Leanne, do you want me to go so you have more examples, or would you like to go? Oh, no, no, I can go. Mine are very simple. My first peach is that I'm now watching the news because I want to, and not because I have to. I am mm -hmm. so far enjoying my 2021 experience. I like having a grown up for president, I guess, is my peach, is what I'm saying. It's nice. It feels better. And it's not 100%, but it's also not DEFCON 1. Yes. Well, also, we're not waking up in the morning to be like, what happened on Twitter last night? And how did it fuck everything up? Dude, I'm not blinking and going, what happened between the time I just closed my eyes to re-wet them and open them again? Okay, that was the speed at which <laughs> things were happening yeah. and it was too much. The sensory overload of it. Yes. You know, because any one thing from 2020 would have been too much. And then we had a lot of things all together, which brings me to what I'm also happy about. I'm happy that I uh, live in New York and not in Texas. Yes. Mm -hmm. Every time I thought I wanted to complain about something, I would hear more and more about, you know, the power outages and, and people, you know, being cold and trying to get basic services. And I'm over here living the life of Riley with electricity and Internet and food in my refrigerator. And I'm like, you know what? I'm okay. <laughs> really? And so it wasn't, you know, shut in front of that thing we're going through it, but it made me appreciate the basics. Yeah. Like how close are any of us yep. to not having those things that we consider civilization? Yeah. So Texas got me expressing gratitude for what I have. And what's always on my list uh, is coffee. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. It's good stuff. Listen, I only have one cup a day. That is my ritual. That is how I know I'm about to sit down and either work or write or, you know, get my thoughts together. And I'm sure the caffeine helps align those thoughts <laughs> in a cogent way. So, yeah, I've just learned to appreciate so many, quote unquote, little things that are not little things. So those are my three. Yeah. That's a beautiful encapsulation of it. Thank you. I will share now. My 
First peach is that there's a subreddit called r slash retro library music that I've been obsessed with because all they do is post like wow cool old like easy listening stuff they have like a full soundtrack that was commissioned of like weird ambient stuff for like to play in muji stores like oh my god wow they have like roland like old royalty free like synth jams like it is almost exclusively what i've been listening to lately and it's just such good vibes and exciting this is fantastic yes it's amazing new favorite subreddit It's one of those things that makes you not hate the internet. Yeah. 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 Like as vicious and horrible as the internet can be, then it serves you up that. Yeah. They have a track here, which is Roland from 1990. I fucking love that one. It's so good. Called Triathlon of Love and Tears. Yep. I was listening to that this morning. (laughs) My second peach is that I've been playing a lot of bass, getting better, getting easier, and my blisters have started to callous. So that's exciting. You know, just baby steps to just getting there, working on the base face. And then my third peach is last night, was in bed at 2 a.m., as you do. I was like, hmm, I'm hungry. Went to the fridge, realized that I had a roll of cookie dough and was like, okay, I cannot cook these right now. So I'm going to do the illegal taking bites straight out of the roll like it's a little burrito and I'm going to feel bad about it and worry about salmonella. As I'm doing so, I notice on the label that it says... This cookie dough can be eaten raw. It's totally safe. (laughs) And I was just like, holy shit, we have come so far as a civilization. They know exactly what I'm doing. They know what I'm here for. They know their people. Yeah, it was a beautiful thing. Uh, And those are my peaches. Well, I'm very happy for you with the cookie dough. Thank you. It's a big day. Highlight of my week. Leanne, this was awesome. So great to catch up with you. Thank you for being here uh, and giving us your time today. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, and lovely to meet you in chat. This has been wonderful. Yes, for real. I really appreciate it. Of course. And where can people find you online? Is there anything that you want to plug? Oh, yeah. As I, I said earlier, the, the, the easiest portal to all things me is my website, which is veryfunnylady.com. And people can get to my Instagram, Twitter, my YouTube through there. A lot of content on my YouTube channel. So if anybody wants to check that out, that's Leanne Lord Comedy. And my Dry Bar Comedy Special just came out a couple of weeks ago. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Dry Bar Comedy Special is like having an HBO special, but um, it's free, (laughs) (laughs) which is awesome. And Dry Bar Comedy's brand is clean comedy. They pride themselves on being family-friendly. There are no clutch-the-pearls moments. So it's it's very accessible. And I did all, you know, stuff about my family. So people will enjoy it. And if you're dry bar savvy, you can listen to it in the app or it's it's pinned and linked on my website, which is veryfunnylady.com. Fantastic. Amazing. Well, folks, thank you for being here today. Hope you're all doing well. Shocked that the word come did not come up once in this episode, but uh, as always with our sign off. Here it is. Last time we had a guest on, nothing sexual the entire episode. And then like a Mack truck, it's coming down the highway. This is the sign off that Layton <laughs> loves. Get it over with, please. <laughs> yeah, I'm full of so much shame now. All right, guys. Um, see you later. Stay safe. Come hard. This is the end of the podcast. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Now that's how you wish somebody well. Exactly. Goodbye, everyone. Be well. Late Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore night, or email us at LeightonNight at gmail.com. <laughs>